Hello, and welcome to Community Calls, our ongoing effort to keep the community updated with COVID-19 and other health-related issues during the pandemic. I am Dr. Panagis Galiatsatos, an assistant professor at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine and a physician in pulmonary and critical care. Thank you for joining us. Um, thank you all for joining these calls. I'm going to open it up by making one point very clear. You all are our first line of defense. I mean it. Uh, we've always meant it every time we say it every week. You can promote health. You can prevent disease with this messaging, especially around the hygienic interventions that have been emphasized uh, since uh, SARS-CoV-2 came upon us. Uh, keep in mind this virus celebrated its first birthday uh, several weeks ago, and the ways of stopping the transmission of an airborne virus have not changed, right? If you're far from someone physically distant, you're unlikely to catch it. If you're staying home as often as you can and being safe, unlikely to catch it. Washing your hands, also very effective. We've all known that, hopefully, uh, at killing off these germs. And then finally, if we do re-emerge out into public from grocery shopping or running any other errands, a face mask from covering from the bridge of your nose to the bottom of your chin, comfortable to wear in its multiple layers, will do a service to catch all those water droplets you breathe out that are highly contagious. So why I'm making such an emphasis there is because I will discuss with you some insight about the vaccine that I just received on Wednesday. I was one of the first Hopkins employees uh, Wednesday morning when the vaccine became available at Johns Hopkins uh, to receive it. Theater Maryland, I think, uh, became overall available Tuesday morning. I know my colleagues at the University of Maryland received it a day earlier. So after our numbers, we'll go over that. But the hygienic interventions now more than ever need to be emphasized. We have a light at the end of the tunnel, which is exciting, but we don't get to it um, unless we end, uh, get there safe and sound. Uh, the analogy I used yesterday on the news was if you're on a sinking ship and you see that boat coming to rescue, don't start putting more holes in that sinking ship. You stay afloat to be rescued. And we have um, the ability to achieve immunity without at all having to suffer the dire consequences of COVID-19. So with that said, more than ever now, let's emphasize, emphasize those hygienic interventions. Now let's go over the numbers of where we are at. Why? Well, these numbers help keep us grounded. These numbers help remind us that we are still in the midst of a bad pandemic. And these numbers, unfortunately, have been growing exponentially faster um, over the last few weeks. Globally, we have 75,477,213 cases of COVID-19. Deaths, 1 million. 672,116, giving us a global mortality rate of 2.2%. Here in the U.S., well over 17,638,215 cases, deaths at 318,067, a mortality rate of 1.8%. Keep in mind, going from 200,000 to 300,000 deaths took us a few weeks in late November, early December, where in the spring and early summer, it took us close to about two months to go for 100,000 deaths. So right now, more than ever, we need you all. Every listener on this call, we need you. 
to help our community stay safe. And finally, here in the state of Maryland, we have 246,553 cases with 5,188 deaths, giving us a mortality rate of 2.1%. So yesterday, uh, not yesterday, Wednesday, I apologize. Calendars are so hard to keep track of in your mind in the time of the pandemic. But on Wednesday morning, I went and received a vaccine, uh, specifically the one that's currently FDA approved, and that is the Pfizer vaccine. So a couple of things since receiving it felt great. Uh, mon- uh, Thursday morning, I even uh, I, I said yesterday. So uh, there was a news uh, reporter that interviewed me about my experience, and I said I still even went and did a bit of arm exercises. Yes, I still have a little bit of soreness where the injection happened, uh, no different than the flu shot uh, kind of soreness it gave you, but nothing much else. Uh, no fever, side effects, or chills. I have a few colleagues who did get small fevers, a few chills, but overall, nothing horrible, nothing that stopped them in a sense of, you know, um, a few hours later, those uh, transient side effects went away. And that's fantastic overall if we can achieve immunity without having to go through the consequence of a uh, disease, right? That's the whole concept, concept behind what vaccines do that dates all the way back to 1796. Uh, if I haven't said this on the call, I'll just give you guys a quick history lesson again. Uh, Dr. Edward Jenner came up, uh, he didn't give the name vaccine, but his paper talked about how taking pus from a cow uh, allowed someone to have immunity against smallpox because you gave the pus from cowpox. Anyway, so vaccine came from that uh, kind of uh, investigation he did out in rural England. And so vaccine, its name means cow in Spanish and Latin. So to date, right now we have one Pfizer vaccine approved, one vaccine approved, which is the Pfizer version. Probably later today, if not Monday, we are likely going to have a second vaccine approved. That's the Moderna one. Both Moderna and Pfizer use new technology in order to give us that immunity. All right, this is the technology of giving us the genetic material, not of the virus, just genetic material that is similar to the virus, right? It's kind of like uh, creating it in a lab, like moving these little chemicals here and there, boom, you suddenly have the genetic material that's uh, uh, similar to the virus without ever having to use the virus's own genetic material. Right, so they have that, we inject it, and then our cells make the protein we need to make in order to create the immunity to prevent us from catching the virus and not having severe disease. This technology, while it is new and it's the first time publicly available as vaccine technology, has been in the research works for about 20 years. When the first coronavirus epidemic hit, the first coronavirus causing a global concern back in 2003, this vaccine technology was the first to step up. It was the one that was probably most promising to get them a vaccine quick to help Southeast Asia. Well, they turned out not needing the vaccine because those hygienic interventions that we talked discussed earlier stopped the spread of SARS-CoV, right? No cure, no vaccine, just simple physical distancing and face masks worked. Now, every lesson we learned from that played a role with MERS-CoV, the second coronavirus causing a global concern. And again, we began to look to see, can we make a vaccine for MERS-CoV? Lo and behold, the interventions around uh, hygienic interventions helped out the spread of that. But I say this because that gave us 
close to a decade's worth of information of how to make a coronavirus vaccine overall, because the target was still going to be the same, give me that spike protein. So when SARS-CoV-2 came about, this is why the technologies using the genetic material were so quick to launch into their campaigns. That's why you're seeing Pfizer and Moderna cross the finish line before a variety of other uh, pharmaceutical giants. With that said, though, I'm hoping in the new year we get two more vaccines approved, the AstraZeneca one and the Pfizer one. I'm sorry, not the Pfizer one, the Johnson & Johnson one. Why that's important is because a question we keep getting asked often is, when will the general public get this? And the challenge with answering that is, at this moment, we can only answer it with one vaccine approved. And if it's only one vaccine, it may not be until end of the summer, beginning of the fall of 2021. If we get two, well, suddenly that goalpost moves a little bit closer, maybe in the summer 2021. If we get three, if we get four, right, if we get up to four, we are hoping that the general population can get vaccinated maybe by, even by the end of the academic year of 2020. That's fantastic, right? That's great. Academic year meaning 2020 to 2021. So we're looking at late spring, early summer. That's fantastic. So more to come, right? We will keep you updated on these calls as these vaccines get approved. And again, they provide immunity. The whole purpose of a vaccine is to provide immunity without having to have the disease. Now, one question we've gotten frequently is, Dr. G, which vaccine should I get? The one thing I want to make clear is I don't know if vaccines, the selection is going to be like, you know, do I, do I go with a Coke, Diet Coke, or Sprite today? I, I don't know if that's what's going to be able to happen. Um, I say this because I think every region is going to be um, at the mercy, to some extent, of the hospitals that purchase it, the doctors that purchase it, the governments that purchase these vaccines. So. I would say take the vaccine that is going to be readily available for your community. That, that would be the most ideal one. One other caveat to this is we're holding our breath for the AstraZeneca and for the Johnson & Johnson one because we think uh, those are the only ones so far that are testing out their technology, the vaccine, on children. Right? The Moderna and Pfizer did not. The youngest they recruited was 16. So more to come about you know, all age groups who can get it. When the vaccines become available in your area, I'm hoping you have enough insight to make a, a public health decision of receiving it or not. And if you guys have more questions, ask us. Like, we're here to comfort any questions you have, to give you the um, enlightenment that you need to make the proper decision for yourself and for your family around any intervention. So keep that in mind. We are here for you guys. So more to come with these vaccines, more to come as we get there, but please don't see these vaccines as now I don't need to do face masking. Now I don't need to wash my hands anymore or stay physically distant. To me, that's analogous to saying I'm going to turn to the sinking boat and put more holes on it. As one of my patients said the other day, he's like, I'm wearing these face masks because it's hard to get vaccinated if I'm dead. I know that's very morbid, but he has a good point. He has a very good point, right? He is protecting himself so he can get to that finish line. So keep that in mind. Protect yourself, protect your family, spread this information, and so forth. So before I transition to our amazing guest today, and I'm excited. I'm always excited. By the way, on a side note, uh, Reverend Paula T. may not know this, but I'm one of her biggest fans. 
So I'm excited to hear her conversation today because it plays such an important role with COVID-19. Right? We talk about face masks. We talk about hand hygiene. We talk about physical distancing. Those are all important, yes. But what has always been important now and before the pandemic was having a discussion of end-of-life preparation, advanced directives. Again, not to sound morbid, but these are conversations I've had and others have had because as we're born, we're also destined to the same ending. But the reason why we've asked Paula Teague and the chaplain group to be here is because COVID-19 has thrown a bit of a curveball in how to best prepare for these advanced directives. And what I mean, and I'll give you my clinical example, and then I'll turn it over to our guests, I was awestruck two weeks ago when I was in the intensive care unit when one of my patients, his surrogate, person who would speak for them, was also sick with COVID. And that person, right, it was two patients, both within the same household, both identified as their own surrogates, both have been robbed of the ability to have their own voice or champion their loved one. COVID took that away. And I say this because COVID ravages households. We know that. And so if you're thinking, well, I'm going to select my spouse, my kids who live with me, right? If you're selecting people who live in your household, it might add a complexity to having someone being able to be your vocal champion at a time when COVID may also take their voice away. So with that said, how to best prepare, I think the best people are who you're about to hear. So Kimberly, I'm going to turn it over to you, my friend, to get us to our amazing guest today. Over to you, Kimberly. Thank you, Dr. G, and thank you for that excellent segue into the conversation and thinking about advanced care planning um, anytime, but particularly during the pandemic. So again, I want to reintroduce our dear friend and colleague, Reverend Paula Teague, Senior Director of Spiritual Care and Chaplaincy, who would discuss this important topic with us today. So welcome, Reverend Teague. Thank you for joining us again this morning. Hi, Kimberly and Dr. G. Thank you for having me. and. Um, I, I, um, I'm just really honored to be here, and you guys are, are my favorite people. This is wonderful to be with you. Oh, thank you, and, and we, all, we feel the same about you. Um, so before we begin our conversation, can you briefly um, kind of introduce yourself to the community listeners and, and the work that you're doing? Or some yeah, of so, yeah, just a, a short introduction. I am a chaplain. Um, I'm a Quaker uh, by faith tradition, and chaplains are, of course, um, uh, interfaith and really meet people where they are. Um, I've been working in the Hopkins system since 2002. Um, it was my great privilege to come to Bayview in 2010 and begin to direct the part department there and to begin to work with um, Dan Hale and Kimberly and Dr. G at that point in working in the community. Um, and one of my, I think one of my long term professional goals always has been to connect what we're doing as chaplains at the bedside with what's happening in the community. I've often said that I think chaplains need to be at the bedside, on the street corner, at the kitchen table. Uh, we need to be with people across all the different aspects of their lives. And working with Healthy Community Partnerships has really helped us uh, make that a reality. So I'm just really delighted always to be involved in these community calls and in the work that you all are doing. Thank you for that introduction. And um, so as we kind of start with some of the basics, what exactly is an advanced directive and why are they important? 
Yeah, so, um, so an advanced directive is actually a very simple concept. It's doing something in advance, and the something is making sure that your preferences for how you want to be taken care of around your healthcare decisions are put in writing and communicated with someone who can speak for you. And what that ensures is that when you're not able to speak for yourself, and this is very important, and when you are at an end-of-life situation, that your wishes will be honored. Um, and that's a, it's a very important thing to understand that advanced directives apply only when you cannot speak for yourself and you're at an end-of-life situation. Um, and there are a couple kinds of advanced directives. They include a living will, which means that you have put explicitly into writing what, what kinds of, of things that you want to have happen. And the other element of it is a healthcare agent, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that more. But the important thing is that you do this in advance and that you really uh, think through what you would like to have your healthcare decisions be when you can't speak for yourself. Now you mentioned um, two important um, words, living will and healthcare agent. Can you kind of explain a little bit of what those two things are? Yeah, so, so a living will is different than your will that you might write to tell people how to disperse your property and your belongings after you've died. A living will is around what happens when you're still living. So that's kind of the key word. And while you're still living and you have healthcare decisions to be made, it tells people what to do. Um, and it really is a way for you to make sure that what you want when you can't speak for yourself will be done. Um, it gives a list. Sometimes a living will, will uh, can be very detailed. You can give a list of all the kinds of things of treatments that you want, <clears throat> and it can also be a list of things that you don't want to have happen um, should you be in a situation at end of life. Um, and it can be something really very detailed. It can be something more broad. Um, and really counting on your healthcare agent to be able to determine the specifics of it. So we've discussed advanced care planning in the past, and I, I was wondering, Dr. G, are you, you still with us? I kind of caught him off guard, but that's okay. So, no, nope, I'm still here. Uh, I'm so sorry. I was uh, saying yes, I'm still here, and I forgot I muted myself. <laughs> really, I'm, I'm doing a rookie mistake. Yes, I'm still here. That's okay. So, you know, I was wondering if you could share real quickly, um, if you don't mind, Reverend Teague, exactly, you know, the, the thing that you told us about why, um, one of the reasons why it's so important that we're talking about this now during the pandemic. And then, and Reverend Teague, you can certainly fill in, too. Uh, you're asking, sorry, Kimberly, you're asking me to uh, emphasize why it's so important for the, the during the pandemic, correct? Yes, what, um, recalling yeah. what you shared with us, what, why you brought this um, to our attention again about the importance yeah, of Yeah, so, so a variety uh, of reasons. One that I just said earlier about recognizing when, you know, two loved ones who were both identified as each other's surrogate, uh, as, a, as they identified as a person. Per, uh, individual to speak for them on their behalf when they lost the ability to do so, the ca capacity, cognitive ability. I mean, that broke my heart because now suddenly we're reaching out to other family members who just didn't know them as well and felt uncomfortable making life or death decisions on their behalf. 
that prompted my attention right, to say we, we need to have these end-of-life conversations again. The other part that I will emphasize is COVID is so unique in one aspect in the fact that, you know, when someone gets admitted with COVID to the hospital, on average, they're probably there for weeks. So I say this because many of our conversations with patients are, I would only want that for a few short days and then, you know, if I'm not turning around, let it go. And what we've discovered with COVID is, you know, most patients will live through this even with the, the most biggest intervention of life support, but it's going to take a while, right? And I, and I say this because, you know, when I've had these conversations with family members and they're like, do it's day three, do, what do you think? And I was like, they're stable. That's usually a good sign that they'll pull through, but it might not be until day 10, 11, 12, 13. So all of that is important to take into consideration because other diseases usually we had a cure for and can turn you around pretty quickly. COVID we don't. So most patients will turn around, but it takes time. And that time factor may be a reconsideration of people's advanced directives. So th those are things that, those are kind of the stories that prompted me to say, let's revisit these conversations. Thank you, Dr. G, for that um, medical insight. And so, uh, Reverend Tate, back to you, and I apologize. I, I kind of threw a little curveball there. Um, but, you know, again, we've been talking about this um, many times before, but now especially if you share your wisdom on why identifying a healthcare agent and, and having more than one um, during the pande pandemic is so important. Yeah, so, um, so, what, so the the... Statistic is that about 30% of hospital patients actually have an advanced directive. So, when you come into the hospital, uh, most about a third of our patients will have that advanced directive. And when you come in, you're asked if you if you have one, and if uh, you don't, um, if you'd like to have that conversation. And the problem is that. Now, with this very limited visitor policy, which it, it does it keeps people safer, but one of the unintended negative consequences of it is that it means that there's really no one to talk with. There's no family member there, right at, at your bedside or at your side, and so the opportunity to create that advanced directive once you come into the hospital is also much more limited. Um, and so, what I've been saying to people is that if you if you don't have that advanced directive, at least name a healthcare agent, at least name someone who will speak for you. Um, one of the interesting things to me that we've been doing as chaplains is that we've been making some calls to patients before they have surgery just to be supportive of them um, as they're preparing for surgery. And um, one of the things we ask them about is whether or not they have a healthcare agent. And it's interesting because most people have someone who um, is going to be kind of their spokesperson, is going to be their primary care partner, you know, really there picking them up, dropping them off, um, you know, helping them manage medications mm. or whatever. And, um, and so, but it's also, what happens so often is that that person's not officially named as a healthcare agent. And so just one thing that you can do, which is very simple, is just to name that person that you know it's going to be kind of the person that's taking care of you. And then, because of some of the things that Dr. G was saying, also think about a backup person who doesn't live in your household or isn't part of your sort of immediate pod during this pandemic time. 
so that if other members of your household are, are get sick from COVID, you have someone who can kind of back back you up. Um, and often that can be, you know, members of congregations or more extended family or neighbors. Um, so, so what I've been saying to people is, if, if, if doing an advanced directive may be too much at this time, but at least name that person who's going to speak for you, and it's a very simple thing to do. So, Reverend Teague, once you have identified that healthcare agent, how does that person help make decisions? And to clarify, if the person is still cognizant, are they still able to say what they want, or does the healthcare agent do so? So if you have the capacity to speak for yourself, you will. They will the healthcare team will look to you to make your own decisions. And so your healthcare agent won't speak for you unless for some reason you're not able to do that for yourself. Um, of course, what happens so often, um, unfortunately, with COVID is that people come in and get sick very quickly and they're really not able to speak for themselves. And that's when you want to have that person who can speak for you. Um, and can tell the healthcare team what your preferences are and how you want to be treated. If you don't have that person designated, what will happen is that the healthcare team will make their best decision based on best practice. Um, and so they're going to be doing the most they possibly can for you. And they're also going to be trying to reach people who are next of kin and they go through kind of a legal uh, ordering of who could be, who would be available to speak for you. And again, as Dr. G is saying, sometimes that really falls through because your spouse or your child or, you know, people who are living with you may also be sick. Um, and so, so the process of finding someone who can speak for you can be really difficult. And, you know, I appreciate that you mentioned how those conversations um, can be so difficult and, I, I recall my um, my father actually calling me not too long ago um, to tell me that I was um, his uh, second in line for healthcare. You know, my stepmother, and then I would be the the secondary one. And also um, that he's notified me as the will the executor of a will, but we didn't have a conversation about it. It was just a call while I was at the office, and so um, rather difficult and challenging because you know sometimes even. As a family member, you may not be comfortable with being the right. healthcare agent. So, how do you suggest? What are your recommendations on addressing this uh, difficult conversation? Yeah, it, it really is hard. I think, um, and it may be the hardest part of all this. But you know, it's interesting how many people will actually write an advance directive or name a healthcare agent and then not tell that person what they've done, um, and so it comes as a surprise down the line. Um, so one of the things that I recommend that you do is to talk, or you can practice your conversation with, with another person. Um, and I think it's just really helpful to start the conversation with, I want to talk with you about something that's very important to me, and it may be hard, and but we really need to talk. And, and to let the tears or whatever the feelings are that go with it, just let them be present. It just means that you care. Um, one of the funny stories from my own life is that um, my husband and I were both updating our advanced directives, and we asked our son to meet us in a Panera. And they, he came to meet us, and we were sitting over in a corner, and we were discussing our advanced directives. And it was a hard conversation, and there were 
because what it means is you're about to lose someone you love if you're having if you're sort of planning in that direction and we started to, to sort of share our tears and, and talk about uh, what this felt like. And what we realized was that people were sitting further and further away from us <laughs> so, so that they were a little bit like, and we decided later that maybe they thought we were getting a divorce or something. But um, it was one of these images I'll never forget because we were um, having a tearful conversation and people around us really didn't want to be near, near us. So, um, so it's, it's hard. It can involve tears. It can involve... Um, you know, some sense of anticipatory grief. Um, and it's just okay to acknowledge that. It just means that we care. Um, and uh, But to say, I, this is really important. I really need to have this conversation with you, and I need to have it soon um, because you just don't know. This virus is so, um, it's just, it's just so sneaky and, um, and difficult to deal with, and we want to be prepared. And, and thank you um, for sharing that story. Um, so there are, uh, I know of a, a different ways that you can access or different forms to complete your advanced directive. Um, can you explain the different ways they could do that? Yeah, so, so, so doing an advanced directive is really easy. Um, you can write it on a piece of paper. It doesn't have to follow a particular form. If you want to follow a form, you can do a paper form that you can download from the Maryland Attorney General website. And I've given Kimberly all of these um, uh, connections that you can make, and so she's got them to send out to everybody after the call. Um, the MarylandAttorneyGeneral.gov site has a, a, a paper form that's pretty lengthy, but it walks you through the steps of how you make the living will and also how you name the healthcare agent. You can complete a healthcare agent card. Um, this is one of the things that we've developed at Johns Hopkins, and it's like a wallet card, and it has who your who your um, healthcare agent is and who your physician is to contact. And that's another important point I think to make, and that is that you should make sure that your doctor um, has a copy of your advance directive and knows who your um, who your healthcare agent is. Um, I carry one in my glove compartment of my car. Um, I have my little wallet card. I just you try to try to cover all the bases in case you know you're some something happens to you and and people are looking for for who they should contact. And then the third way to do it is through an app. Um, there is an app called My Directive, and it's really an easy thing to use. You can download that and um, and put your information in there. It basically follows the same form as the Maryland uh, Attorney General site does. The cool thing about the app is that it connects to a regional um, system for healthcare information. So, God forbid you are in an accident or something happens, you're taken into the emergency department, you're not able to speak for yourself. If your advanced directive is in that app, it's automatically connected to this regional. Um, healthcare form, and th and that's available to your providers for you right there. Um, so so that's a really cool thing about the app, and uh, that the information goes with you from you know especially in this region um, on the internet. So lots of ways to do it. You can choose the easiest one for you. So yeah, you know, I'm wondering if you because um, I see there's a, a big difference as far as length goes with the Maryland Advance Directive and the Five Wishes. Is there, yeah. what's the difference between those two? 
Well, five wishes. Thanks for mentioning that, Kimberly. That's it's it's a wonderful form to use. Um, it was developed by a group, um, and they really walk you through more than just the medical aspects of uh, end of life. And so, the five wishes is really about um, your relationships, um, who you would want to have with you uh, when you're in, if if or when you're dying. Um, what kinds of things are important to you in terms of quality of life? Um, do you want to be at home? Would you rather be cared for in a hospital? I mean, just all kinds of just life questions that are, are that you go through with the five wishes. Um, my mother-in-law, my husband and my mother-in-law had a couple of, of sessions where they went through the five wishes together. And it was just such a wonderful experience for them to have those conversations and for him to know exactly, you know, what kinds of things to be aware of um, around her, her dying and her funeral and what kinds of ways she wanted to be remembered, um, as well as the medical decisions. So the so the form that you would find on the Maryland website will simply focus on medical decision-making and five wishes will be much broader and really look at relationships and all kinds of quality of life kind of questions. Now there are, um, I know, a few people on the line that are outside of Maryland. Um, where would they go? Do you know where they would go for, um, for that if they, they go to a certain Yes, yes, that's a great question. So um, each state, uh, there is no kind of federal mandate around advanced care planning, and so each state has its own way of doing this. And so if you're in another state, you can go to your state government website and just search for advanced care planning or advanced directives, and it will pull up. Uh, most of the time they're under the attorney general's purview, um, but in some states it may not be. So, so but the, every state government website will have that. And another place you can search are in at individual hospital websites. So, for example, if you were to be in the in Pennsylvania and you were to search the Allegheny Health System and you put advanced directives in, that will come up at most in most hospital systems. That will come up as well. And whatever state they're in, they're going to be relying on those state documents. Thank you, Reverend Teague. Um, Dr. G, I believe you have a question as well. Yeah, and uh, Reverend uh, Teague, this may be a little bit different uh, from the conversations we are having, but I still want to make sure, I still think it's in the uh, uh, universe uh, that uh, chaplains offer here in the hospital. Um, can you speak a little bit to how needed right now, more than ever, the chaplains are uh, in the hospital oh. where patients, you know, their the, the, you know, family becomes the hospital staff. Uh, can you speak to any uh, um, uh, adaptations or any just, you know, how important chaplains are more than ever now to the hospital team? Well, thank you for that. Um, it, this has really been an amazing time for us as chaplains because I think that we have, in ways that we never could imagine, have become... Uh, really the emotional support for patients whose loved ones aren't able to be with them. We've done an incredible number of things that are, I, I never thought as a chaplain I would be doing, like helping people make phone calls and hooking people up with iPads to see and talk with their family members. Um, we're able to uh, help navigate having community clergy, uh, be in contact with families and uh, with patients. We've done a lot of, of um 
work with families to make sure that they are supported through this time. It's, it's really a hard experience to just drop your loved one off at the hospital and drive away. Um, and I just think that hurts people people's hearts to do that. And it's great to have a chaplain that can talk with you about that and really be reassuring about the what's happening inside the hospital and be a liaison with the family. Um, We've been, um, we've been doing a project with Vinted patients in particular where we've been asking families who would like to make a short audio for the medical team so that they can, the medical team can know their loved one better. We're calling it This Is My Story. But that's been a huge help for medical team members who are trying to care for someone who may have come in the hospital, they had no opportunity to get to know them as a person, and now they're Vinted and not able to really communicate and so having information from the family about who they are and what they like, it just makes it so much easier to care for someone um, and when you know a little bit about them. So, um, and, and of course we've been, I think chaplains have also been incredibly supportive of staff. And I know, Dr. G, you've had this experience with being on, a, I mean, when you're on that medical unit and you're caring for patients, it's just incredibly stressful right now. We don't have enough we're right on the edge of not having enough beds because of the spread of the virus. And so it's just really difficult um, for staff. And we've been doing this for a long time. So, um, so yeah, it's just chaplains are, I think, have just become uh, the backbone or the almost, I hate to say the soul of what's happening. That's too, that's too trite probably. But um, just very important um, partners for everyone's emotional well-being. Yep. Thank you, Paula. And uh, I, I, I felt like I caught the um, spiritual shout out when you said the chaplains are the soul of the hospital. And, and I, I agree. Um, they've helped so much of our patients uh, being actually becoming family for them and yep. um, helping the staff. Um, I was telling your own chaplains a week ago how it was the chaplains who were the, you know, like when you're working with your other colleagues of physicians and nurses, you, you kind of have this like unspoken and you kind of recognize you're in it together. The chaplains are the ones who are, like, asking legitimately, like, how are you doing, checking in, and just yep. being able to help us, allow us to kind of be human in a time where we try to keep a, uh, our game, our objective faces on when we care for patients. So your, your team has helped tremendously. You guys really are the soul of the hospital. Oh, well, thank you. I, I'm just very proud of all that we've done, and, and um you know, we're we're a relatively small group of people when you think about it, and so for us to be able to care in this way is it's just such an honor. So, so thank you. Yeah. And and thank you, Dr. G, and and thank you, Reverend um, Teague. I I definitely agree with that, and and thank you um, for your team and uh, and everything that you do. So, um, I, before we kind of wrap things up, it doesn't look that we have any questions. But Reverend T, I was just wondering if we could just kind of sum up some of the basics. Um, I'm not. I apologize if you mentioned this before, but um, you know, as far as when you should get one over 18, um, and, and just some of the basics, just to kind of um, you know some takeaways for our listeners. Yeah, I would say the main takeaway that the thing that I would hope that everyone would take away is please, please name a healthcare agent name a backup healthcare agent, someone who's not in your household or in your pod, um, and then think about doing that entire advanced directive 
uh, where you really lay out what you want in terms of medical decision making. Um, and then make sure that you communicate it to the people that you've named and also to your physician and to make sure you have the, um, the document somewhere that they're accessible, either if you're using the app or you carry copies somehow with you. Um, but just making sure that if someone, if for some reason, God forbid, you're not able to speak for yourself, those wishes are right there accessible so people know what to do. Thank you, Reverend Teague. And Dr. G, did you have any um, closing remarks on that before we wrap up? My, my last comment to you all, uh, this pandemic is testing our humanity every day. Um, uh, one comment to make is just there is an end, end in sight. Uh, we opened this conversation with a vaccine. We had um, uh, end-of-life conversations, a spiritual reawakening, hopefully for many of you. Um, and now my last comment, please recognize that there is an end in sight. In January, uh, Kimberly and I and Dr. Hale are going to work on getting some amazing um, professors here to talk uh, also specifically on the vaccine. Um, these two will touch on not just the vaccine in and of itself, but to be able to engage in the conversations about the concern from um, certain, uh, um, from certain communities of the vaccine and so forth. So we'll touch upon all of that in the new year. So more to come. So Kimberly, that was it. I feel like it's a great way to end our 2020 season. Uh, and uh, over to you, my friend, as you uh, lay out uh, more to come. Thank you, Dr. G. And um, Reverend Teague, before um, we close with our, your closing thoughts and prayer, I just wanted to remind everyone that our next call is Friday, January 8th at 11 a.m. due to the next two Fridays falling on Christmas Day holiday and New Year's Day. So again, the next call will be Friday, January 8th at 11 a.m. And so Reverend Teague, um, if you could uh, um, help us close with a prayer. Well, thank you. And uh, thank you again for the opportunity to be with you and, and talk about advanced directives. Um, I am also really aware of this being our last call before Christmas. Uh, Kwanzaa also begins next week. Hanukkah's last night was yesterday. Um, so we really are in a season of celebration. Uh, it, and, and the celebrations all really revolve around light and the darkness. Um, we are about to celebrate the winter solstice, um, the day of the year when there's the least amount of sunlight. Um, and it hasn't been lost on me and from a theological or spiritual perspective that this vaccine and the hope about our pandemic has really come at this season when we are hopeful in the darkness for light to be part of, to be here again. And uh, a lot of our celebrations really revolve around that uh, hope and light. Um, so I just thought today what I would do is offer us a, just an opportunity to take a deep breath. Um, it's a busy, busy time of year as well. Um, and just to, as you take a deep breath, to really bring to mind those things that bring you joy. Um, even in these really tough times, days that can sometimes feel like they're filled with darkness, um, that we have those moments of joy and light in our lives. And so just take a moment, take a deep breath, really feel your body with that breath and feel the light that comes into your body and Hold just for a moment. I'm, I'm only going to be quiet for maybe 
15 seconds, but just hold for a moment in the quiet that those memories of joy, the things that bring you light right now. So I offer you this blessing. May you find light moments of joy. May times of bone weariness be tempered with restoration. May worry be replaced with a sense of peace. May your activities be collegial and connected. May your relationships be ones of enrichment. May you take the time each day to find a space of peace and joy. May you know in your heart that more light is coming. Amen. Thank you, Reverend Teague. And thank you, everyone, for joining our call today. Happy holidays to you. Please stay safe, be well, and we look forward to chatting again next year. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. This podcast is made possible by the Johns Hopkins Bayview Healthy Community Partnership, its Department of Spiritual Care and Chaplaincy, Johns Hopkins School of Medicine's Medicine for the Greater Good, and the Johns Hopkins Institute for Clinical and Translational Research.